What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. It's 7.05 as hour number two of Sports Talk begins. Welcome to Tuesday, December 5th. I'm John Wilkerson. Vince Ferrara again working in another day off. So Joel Silverberg, gracious enough to uh, come in far earlier than he normally does as he is the um, he is the driving force. He is the folks that people lean on when it comes to Josh and Swain in the afternoon. So kind of you... Kind of you to add the same to this morning show. Mainly just lean on me for the face-off decision as <laughs> Josh and Swain will, usually one of them, for whatever reason, disagrees with whatever ruling I come up with. How could that be? Yeah. <laughs> it's not based on who wins, I'm sure, but oftentimes that's the big controversy that, that brews up between 12 and 3 on a weekday here at the Sports Animal. You are the voice of the Ice Bears, and after a break, they and what did you think in terms of being a part of the, the Wivik Christmas Parade that took place on Friday? It was good to be back after I've, I've missed it a couple of times over the years, obviously due to travel and hockey season, but it was good to be back and good to be out with the team had, you know, the majority of our players that uh, were available to were able to be out and, and they had a blast. I think for some of our players that aren't local, you know, we've got guys from Texas, Minnesota, Canada, Russia. It's always interesting to kind of see their reaction where there's this announcement over the PA right as you cross the Tennessee theater. And now the Knoxville ice bears, and there's all this cheering, just thousands of people. One of our defensemen actually kind of leaned over and said, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. This is a lot of people. And, and just some of our players, even the ones that have played division one college, major junior hockey, they haven't seen crowds like this supporting their team. So it, I think it was a really neat experience for our players to see how much this community has valued the ice bears over the years. Hopefully that brings some added motivation as we, progress now into the second quarter of the regular season and as we jump into the walkthrough here in just a second you guys are on the road this weekend but then it's home for six straight yeah on the road this weekend for two games at Macon then six consecutive home games and then we'll wrap up the calendar year with two road games on the 30th and the 31st and then after a chaotic November and a very busy end to December the schedule regulates itself a little bit more and doesn't make the games any easier, but right. it, it definitely, I think, helps regulate the scheduling a little bit more. But the falls are normally pretty pretty like that for us with all the conflicts with Tennessee football and things like that. We, we know where the community, you know, where its its heart truly lies in, in Knoxville when it comes to sports. But uh, we definitely appreciate the support that we get throughout the course of the year and uh, want to make sure that as many of our fans can attend as many home games as possible. And so we enjoy having more home games on the back end of the season. It's time for the Wallace Walkthrough. It's brought to you by Wallace Real Estate, East Tennessee's number one independent real estate brokerage. They are a one-stop shop for buyers and sellers, six residential offices, property management, and commercial services, and they offer home buyers a way to create custom searches for all properties in East Tennessee. You can see for yourself with a visit to and even start your home search today at wallacetn.com. And as we start, uh, we'll go right to Tennessee football. You've got players that have entered the transfer portal. 
Uh, Addison Nichols would be the latest to do so, an offensive lineman. You've had three members of the secondary, two veteran players, as well as a freshman that uh, have already put their names in. And, Joel, this is a list I'm sure that will continue to grow. Uh, we'll have Brent Hubbs join us for his weekly visit next hour to get the latest. But it's uh, it's not a surprise to know that Tennessee has probably identified targets that it will pursue, as well as uh, seeing what's next for those that have decided they need to be somewhere else than Knoxville. And the players are privy to it. They, they know that guys are going to come in at certain position groups and there might be writing on the walls to what that means for them or the likelihood of where they end up on a depth chart at a particular position. So it's the nature of where college football is at today. Guys are going to leave. Guys are going to come in. It's a matter of do you keep all of the key pieces? And that was something that, you know, we talked a little bit about the culture of Josh Heupel's program in the first hour. I think when you're seeing key pieces leave consistently, that's where you raise some eyebrows and have some issues and you kind of wonder, okay, what is the culture of the program like? If you're maintaining the majority of those key guys that are able to return, if you have guys getting in trouble less, it's the mark of a better program. And I think it goes to show where the culture's at that Josh Heupel has set as the precedent for Tennessee football. Uh, Warren Burrell and Brandon Turnage are the veterans that have also put their name in the, uh, in the portal. But it, Tennessee also had a number of players that generated a lot of conversation. How many that have the option to come back will do that? John Campbell says he will indeed return. And and banged up at times over the course of his career, but I think a guy that really progressed, especially over the last year or so when you're talking about where he was at and in terms of Tennessee's offensive line depth, and I think a position group that you always is always so important year to year, but one that started to take a bit of a step back obviously with the departure of Darnell Wright and so seeing somebody already return you feel like you have depth that you can rely on going into the 2024 season just something that you want to see knowing that okay you, you want to start from scratch as little as possible especially having taken a step back from the previous season in 2022 I think you always feel like it's good news whenever you have a familiar face a veteran that has seen a lot of significant playing time return to your team for the following season We'll see what this does to impact Tennessee's bowl experience. Uh, James Pierce yesterday on a day that he was named first team All-SEC, which so far that's been the case when it comes to the Associated Press as well as USA Today. Traffic stop yesterday. He was stopped for speeding, uh, was driving with an expired temporary North Carolina tag, also found to be driving on a suspended license. These are the allegations. He faces four charges in total, but was arrested yesterday. The uh, university says it is aware of the situation, is monitoring, and so it might be a moment or two before we find out what what will be next for James Pierce and and what happens with this. And I would expect internal discipline to be coming with it as well. And when you look at the charges, obviously not great, but also could be so much worse. And and Tennessee players have seen worse in the past. And so I I think you kind of look at the situation and see how the university and how the program is going to oversee everything. What sort of discipline is coming for James Pierce to me, obviously it's, it's a huge impact for Tennessee's defense, but particularly with the matchup against Iowa, I don't see a huge change in what the outcome could be i think the bigger side of things depends on what does tennessee's offense do against that iowa defense where iowa likes to kind of ugly up games and try to hit the under as much as it can but i I think for you know james pierce just what does it mean for him going forward and how josh heupel addresses this does somebody need to be made an example out of what does it mean for next season I, i think it's more if anything questions answered in the long term rather than just the bowl game but certainly not an ideal situation for james pierce 
the scenario could be so much worse from what Tennessee fans have seen or, or heard about players being involved with stuff like this in recent years. Tennessee basketball back on the floor tonight. It is a 6.30 tip-off for Tennessee against George Mason. Volunteers trying to break a three-game skid, and uh, and so they take on the Patriots. Coverage starts at 6 o'clock with the Tennessee tip-off show. And then also uh, the fact that you are the producer for Josh and Swain. You, get to, you, you are the front line. You get to hear from everybody that may not wait until it's time to go on the air, or they're just calling in to offer their thoughts and opinions on this or that. So, so many times you are right there on the front line, just as Ben is here in the mornings, and uh, and Tommy Sweat with the next program, and so on. Riley in the afternoon. But uh, what was the some of the things that you heard in reaction to the Final Four for the college football playoff, where it was yes to Texas? And Alabama, no to Georgia and to Florida State. It's such an interesting situation because we've never really had a scenario in the playoff era where two non-conference opponents face off during the regular season and then both of them are still in the mix after the conference championships had concluded. And I understand Alabama needed a prayer against Auburn to be answered. That happens, though, oftentimes for a lot of championship-caliber teams. Texas had some close calls this season. Washington had to escape Oregon twice. I I think whenever you look at, you know, Michigan didn't blow away Ohio State as it did the year before. So I I think whenever you look at these scenarios, you can nitpick the different points in the season where, well, this team didn't look like a top-four team. Well, very few teams look like a top-four team for 60 minutes a game, 12 games out of the season, 13 for those that play conference championships. And I understand Florida State going undefeated. It doesn't set the best precedent, but it's also, I think fans get upset about it because they want quantifiable reasons as to why Florida State should be left out. And college football through the BCS era and now in the playoff era has never been a quantified criteria as to why we do that. And when you see Michigan's reaction to having to play Alabama instead of Florida State, that's kind of the indicator that the committee probably made the right chance. And, and the the argument for Florida State is incredibly compelling. I, I get it. It's unfair that it's based on predictive factors. But at the same time, I, I still think that you know Alabama is going to pose a better matchup than Florida State will. That's Joel Silverberg. I'm John Wilkerson. 7.15 on this Tuesday morning, about 40 degrees as you make your way out the door. Benjamin Hardy has more sports right here, right now. And then Gerald Hodges joins us next. And you can join that conversation about the rule book. Either text us or call in to be a part of it. 865-656-9900. Benjamin Hardy, his report is right now on Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents. We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
the Tennessee men's basketball team face off tonight at home against George Mason. The 17th-ranked Vols are scheduled to take on the Patriots at the Food City Center at 6.30 tonight. You can catch all the action right here on the Sports Animal starting with pregame at 6 o'clock. The finalists for the Heisman Trophy have been announced. LSU's Jane Daniels, Oregon's Bo Nix, Washington's Michael Penix Jr., and Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. were announced at this year's finalists for the nation's most outstanding college football player. The winner will be announced this Saturday in New York, and you can watch the winner being announced at 8 p.m. on ESPN. He got it! This game is over. One of the most entertaining games of the season. And Jake Browning has an NFL win, and man, did he earn it tonight. Last night on Monday Night Football, the Bengals defeated the Jaguars 34-31 with a field goal in overtime. With less than six minutes left in the fourth quarter, Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence left the game due to an ankle injury. Initial tests indicate that Lawrence sprained his ankle, and he is scheduled to undergo additional testing to determine the extent of that injury, as well as how much time he could miss. That audio is courtesy of ESPN. With your Sports Animal Sports Minute, this has been Benjamin Hardy. Stay tuned. More sports talk is next. 722 on this Tuesday morning. I'm John Wilkerson. Joel Silverberg filling in for Vince Ferrara. We head to the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline as we get to say good morning to Gerald Hodges as he joins us for his weekly visit. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how are you? I'm doing well. John, how are you? Joel, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> doing quite well, and uh, hope that you enjoyed all of the football action that we got to see with Championship Weekend. Uh, tell me, when you uh, when you get to this stage of the season, and, and you, of course, stepped away from the game, what is it like to, uh, to watch games without thinking that it has to, uh, to fall in your lap when it comes to a key moment or decision in terms of uh, whether to uphold a call or perhaps – Hold one for review and overturn. Well, that's that's a real good feeling, John. I enjoyed it immensely without any pressure. So it worked out really well. I'll start with uh, with this, and this was from the Iowa-Michigan game, so the Big Ten championship game. There was a situation to, and, and my guess is the crew went by the letter of the law when it comes to the rule book. But what you had was uh, what was ruled on the field, an incomplete pass. Iowa had the football. It was then, upon further review, ruled that it was the empty hand. And as the hand came forward, was said to not have control of the football. And so it went forward. It bounds around on the field. And as the, the players scatter, there is an official that goes right into the scrum. And you see him, before it's recovered, wiping his hands to say incomplete pass. So Iowa does not go for the ball. A Michigan player reaches down, retrieves the ball, not to recover it, but he retrieves it to hand it back to the official. So, as review takes a look at this, it's then ruled that it was a fumble as opposed to an incomplete pass, and the act of the Michigan player picking up the ball to hand it back to the official was said to be the clear and immediate recovery. And, Gerald, I have so many problems with that being the case in this instance, simply for the fact that you have an official that says, stop playing with his incomplete pass sign. And, again, I'm not saying the crew didn't enforce the letter of the law, but I think in that instance – when a team or when both teams are told not to pursue the football, that it should be viewed as an instance like an inadvertent whistle, that it would go back to the team that fumbled the football because, again, there was a stoppage signaled by the crew itself. What are, what are your thoughts, and did you see that play? I did not see that play. Uh, 
the uh, and you're right there that it you know if the ball is laying on the two things if the ball's laying on the ground and nobody picks it up first thing uh, then you de- it's declared dead then it you know it goes back to the team that's uh, that last the last had possession uh, in that case in, the, in your case there if the whistle has blown and the ball is still on the ground, then, you know, then you would go back to the team that had it either way. But the, of course, there again, that's the inadvertent whistle is every official's nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, that would go back to the team that last had possession. There was, a, I guess, kind of a similar situation just while we're talking about inadvertent whistles, and it turned out to be the correct call, but there was a play in the SEC title game where Jalen Milrow was, I guess, pulled over a Georgia defender, and, and Milrow tried to regain his footing and then take off running with the football. They had blown the whistle dead, and you know, so there's nothing that can be done to review that because the play is ruled a sack. Now, they... Looking at the replay from the reverse angle, it was ruled that Milrow's shin actually did touch the ground. So it was actually a really good eye by the official. But in a case where that does happen, where, say, Milrow's shin doesn't touch the ground, he's never down by contact, he lands on top of a a defender, bounces back up, tries to take off running, there's an inadvertent whistle. There's, you know, what sort of, I guess, what are officials trained to do in that situation to try to avoid those inadvertent whistles? Well, the biggest thing that we're taught from day one, and then it's it's kind of a catch-22, but first thing is don't carry the whistle in your mouth. <laughs> I, I officiated basketball for several years, too. And, of course, in basketball, you have to have it because you have to have an immediate, you know, stoppage of play. In football, you can throw a flag and then let the play run out. And then, uh, and then also, of course, with replay now. But if you do blow the whistle, then it does kill the play. And right now in replay, that is not a reviewable play. You know, where the ball is dead. Now, they do have a caveat for that. If the runners, say, inside the five-yard line, in unimpeded, and uh, they, you know, blow the whistle, if he's, like, if he's on in the end zone, the bucket and bottom, they will allow that one. The crew that worked the SEC championship game uh, took a lot of heat in there. And I know you'll be stunned to hear this. There were some conspiracy theories out there that the fix was in for one team versus another. Uh, but anyhow, Gerald, there was uh, – it's a fourth down play, and it's a pass to an Alabama receiver, and he makes the catch – or it's ruled a catch on the field. Replay shows uh, that perhaps the, the ground aided him in getting full possession of the football – and the the crew was surprised, and so were a lot of viewers that there was that that play wasn't held for additional review. And I'm just wondering, when is it that when you sat in that seat that you decided to hold a play? Because you, as you've talked about, you look at all plays, but it's those plays that you hold for further review that re- result in a stoppage. Right, I did see that play. Uh, probably in hindsight, I'm sure they may wish they had stopped it, take a further look. I actually looked at it again this morning because I assumed this was coming up. I'm not sure had they even stopped it, they would have overturned it because the call on the field was a complete pass. In hindsight, which is always 2020, it probably 
you know, would warrant another stoppage, although there are three people looking at it. They didn't look, didn't get to look long because Alabama rushed to the line. And uh, they, you know, felt like they had enough to not not stop it. But it would probably warrant it to stop. I, I was just going to say, based on going off that play, if the decision were up to you looking at that replay in slow motion, do you think, it, regardless of what the call on the field would have been, which way would you have leaned? Is that a completion or is it an incomplete pass? I would have to almost really to stand, Joel. Uh, I, it did, the ball did touch the ground. Uh, it can touch the ground. It looked to me like he had one hand on the nose of the ball, and then you know, as he rolled over, of course, he pulled it back up. I never did see it totally loose. I've heard people say, well, it bounced. I don't think it ever bounced by any means. And it can move a little bit. And there again, you have the call on the field. It's kind of a tiebreaker. Our guest is former SEC replay official, former SEC official Gerald Hodges, member of the Greater Knoxville Sports Hall of Fame. We've got more with Gerald coming up. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company. It's 730 as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal. 7.35 on this Tuesday morning. Joel Silverberg, pinch hitting for Vince Ferrara. I'm John Wilkerson. Gerald Hodges joins us for his weekly visit. We break down the rule book. If you have a question or comment, 865-656-9900. 865-656-9900. Use that number to call and join the conversation or text us your question for Gerald as he joins us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline. So, Gerald, watching the Pac-12 title game on Friday and and I think this one would have been perhaps in your wheelhouse as to what your assignment was when you worked uh, the crew, and that was you've got received this is in the red zone, Oregon with the football, and it's receiver with hands on the defensive back, the defensive back with hands on the receiver, and as they get into the corner of the end zone where the pass was targeted, uh, both are looking for the football, but it was a flag on the defender for Washington for pass interference, so tell me, how difficult is that? Is that is that close to being a football equivalent of the block versus charge when it comes to chicken fighting the whole way down and then one gets flagged for pass interference while both have made contact pretty consistently with the other? That is the exact correlation, John. It really is. And to me, if they're chicken fighting, hand fighting all the way down, uh, even though you know, they'll have hands on each other, as long as one doesn't push or grab, you know, pull the other one right at the time the ball gets there, then basically I've got an incomplete pass on that. While on the topic of pass interference, I'm seeing more and more in today's game, both in college and in the pros, a, a deep pass is thrown, you know, say down the sideline, you've got a receiver that, and the pass is underthrown at that. So you've got a, a defender in man coverage who, is trying to track a receiver. A receiver then makes a late adjustment to come back to an underthrown ball. Defender really doesn't have any time to react. Bumps into the receiver. Passes incomplete. Defender gets flagged for pass interference. Has there been any any sort of discussion about trying to evaluate plays like that? Because it, it feels like the offense is essentially awarded a penalty when the quarterback makes a mistake at underthrowing a deep ball like that. Joel, that is... Definitely under review, quotation marks. Uh, that's something that they will look at this year because, as you say, it, it's, it happens more and more. And uh, I don't know what they're going to come up with, but there's been quite a bit of discussion about that very thing. You know, the 
offense has best an advantage. Of course, another thing too is, you know, the defensive man does need to try to watch where the ball is. But in the case where it's just a, you know, really other thrown ball, and then the defender just abruptly stops and runs back into the, I mean, excuse me, the receiver runs into the defender. Uh, we've seen that quite a bit this year, and uh, I, I do know there is going to be some discussion on that in the off season. We always uh, enjoy being able to throw in uh, NFL scenarios and just get what the ruling would be uh, in college football, but we're, the action Sunday night between Green Bay and Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes gets blasted as he gets to the sideline. It eventually wound up being a flag thrown for unnecessary roughness. Uh, you go back and you look at the replay, and you see that Mahomes wasn't out of bounds at the time. I mean, it was a big hit. He was decleated, knocked off his pins. And so I think just that degree of the hit being delivered as he had pulled up, but he hadn't stepped out of bounds. And once, I guess, the 15-yard personal foul is called, that's not up for review. But I'm just curious, would you like to see that perhaps be part of the broader abilities of the replay to uh, to overturn. It can overturn targeting, uh, but what do you think in terms of perhaps a personal foul? Because if indeed the player is not out of bounds, that should not be um, unnecessary roughness unless there is like a helmet-to-helmet or going high, correct? That's correct. That is correct. There, you know, that's a touchy deal, not touchy, but that's just something that kind of gets into the only mm-hmm. – if, definitely if he's not out of bounds, I, I would think, you know, you should be able to get a little bit of relief from replay. They can determine if he's out of bounds or not. And, if, you know, it wouldn't be their decision on if it was roughing. But it might kind of help make up, you know, the calling officials might say, hey, he still had one foot in bounds as long as it wasn't a personal foul of mm-hmm. some sort. Does it almost... And I do think that, yeah. Sorry, but, does it almost come to the discretion if the referee believes that the quarterback is trying to get to the sideline in the process of quote unquote, giving himself up kind of similar to a a quarterback starting to slide on a play like that. It is. It is. They, they kind of a loose guideline is, you know, if he's running perpendicular to something, definitely trying to get out of bounds and not gain extra yardage. Then there's, it's a little tighter criteria for that on the, on the late hit. And, you know, if he's running right parallel down the field, then, you know, he's he's kind of fair game. Also seems like there is a lot that's fair game when it comes to Hail Mary attempts, and you have just a group of defensive backs and or defenders, because sometimes linebackers wind up in that mix. Uh, you've got receivers that are all trying to gather and catch that rainbow pass uh, that's resulting in the uh, the desperation toss for a touchdown. But you rarely see pass interference called when it comes to uh, Hail Mary attempts, and there was a clear shove as Kansas City was taking a last desperate shot at the end zone, but you saw a, a complete shove of Travis Kelsey by the Packers, and and I'm just curious, at what point would you decide to reach for your flag when looking at what might be contact in regards to positioning as opposed to a specific infraction against a very specific individual? Yeah, that would be a tough one, John, where you've got say more than two players and a lot of times you might have half a dozen uh unless you just have a totally clear tackle i guess or a hold you know it would be hard to call that's one that if we you know jump ball is a jump ball unless somebody really gets it just 
really obvious advantage. Let's go to the phones as Joe is calling in this morning. Good morning, Joe. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, morning, Joe. My question is, good morning. Uh, uh, my question is about the Michael Penix Jr. incomplete pass. Did you happen to see that? I did not. I did not see that one. Yeah, I saw that, John, and I, I thought it was that. very similar to uh, to what we saw the very next night with Michigan and with uh, Iowa. So I did think that it, it was right there to where was the arm coming forward or not. Is that the one specifically you're talking about, Joe? It is, but the thing that I thought was not addressed was, was it a lateral? I mean, the arm was hit, but it looked like that ball, it was sideways. It, it may have been parallel, but it looked like it may have been a lateral. But it was never brought up by the crew uh, in any capacity. In that instance, I thought okay. that he was looking at a receiver downfield. Are you talking about just the flight of the ball or where he was perhaps targeting a receiver? No, where the, the flight of the ball. I mean, when his arm got hit, the ball went sideways. So it, it, it almost looked like it may have gone backwards, which would have been a lateral a lateral, and, and therefore a ball could be picked up. It was never really addressed as could it be a lateral. What was the ruling on the field, Joe? It was ruled an incomplete a, pass incomplete when all was pass. said and done. Okay. The rule states that if the passer's hand is coming forward with control of the ball, then and if it's hit, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference which way. You know, once, once it leaves his hand, it is a forward pass in that situation. So they actually probably got it right. Joe, we sure do appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. And why don't we work in one more call? It's from Lee. Lee, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing well, thank you. I wanted to ask you, and it was clear I rewound it ten times, uh, that last play of the Auburn game, Alabama, was a clear offensive push-off to get separation to make that catch. I mean, you, it was just obvious he pushed that defensive back away. Should that have been called? I was going to ask. The, I'm sure he saw the play. I, in the end, oh, God, I, I'm sorry, but I really didn't, Lee. Uh, I was doing quite a bit it. of stuff. I, I, I did not see it, no, sir. I've certainly seen it, and and I do think that there was there were those that while they were doing the uh, running the replay of it, that it, it's like yeah, there was perhaps the extension of the arm, things like that. Uh, Joel, did you catch that? I have to go back and look at it to really get a glance at the push off, because to me, I'm focusing more on the catch, and I'm watching it right now. And so the pass from Milrow to the back of the end zone. So yeah, like, so watching it live is the only way I had seen it. So based on where bond is in the corner of the end zone, okay. Is there separation? Maybe, uh, but I'd have to see it from the reverse angle to actually get an angle on it because on the live camera, they're, they're not touching anymore by the time the ball actually gets there. Gerald, when you, uh, when you get to go through the, uh, the highlights or the lowlights that get shared one week to the next, is that something that would per- potentially show up if it was thought that there was uh, an infraction that was missed in that instance? Uh, yes, it would, it would show up on the highlight film in a lot of cases as a teaching, as a teaching tool. Sure could. 
Lee, we sure do appreciate the call. Gerald, sure do appreciate your time as always. So I hope you have a wonderful week. And uh, while we don't have a wealth of college football this next week, we do look forward to catching up with you a few weeks down the road uh, as we get into bowl season and towards the championship game. But uh, again, as always, we always appreciate the way you break it down for us when it comes to the rule book. So hope you and yours have a very Merry Christmas if we don't talk to you ahead of the holidays and we look forward to you rejoining us a little bit further into this season. That will be great, and I'm looking forward to that. And you guys have a happy holiday also. All right. Thank you very much. Gerald Hodges joining us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company. So, found a reverse angle. There's hand fighting going on in the corner of the end zone. The left arm of the receiver is on the defender. I wouldn't call it a I wouldn't call it a clear push off. I think there's hand fighting, there's separation at the end, but I, I wouldn't call it a direct push off. So we do appreciate it. What we'll do is get a break. We're late for that now, but we've got more sports with Benjamin Hardy, and then we close out the second hour of sports talk on ninety nine point one the sports animal. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy-low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Tennessee men's basketball team face off tonight at home against George Mason. The 17th-ranked Vols are scheduled to take on the Patriots at the Food City Center at 6.30 tonight. You can catch all that action right here in the Sports Animal, starting with pregame at 6 o'clock. The finalists for the Heisman Trophy have been announced. LSU's Jane Daniels, Oregon's Bo Nix, Washington's Michael Penix Jr., and Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. were announced as this year's finalists for the nation's most outstanding college football player. The winner will be announced this Saturday in New York, and you can catch all that action at 8 p.m. on ESPN. He got it! This game is over. One of the most entertaining games of the season. And Jake Browning has an NFL win, and man, did he earn it tonight. Last night on Monday Night Football, the Bengals defeated the Jaguars 34-31 with a field goal in overtime. With less than six minutes left in the fourth quarter, Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence left the game due to an ankle injury. Initial tests indicate that Lawrence sprained his ankle, but he is scheduled to undergo additional testing to determine the extent of that injury, as well as how much time he could miss. That audio is courtesy of ESPN. With your Sports Animal Sports Minute, this has been Benjamin Hardy. Stay tuned. More sports talk is next. 7.53 on this Tuesday morning. I'm John Wilkerson. Joel Silverberg, kind enough to pinch hit for Vince Ferrara this morning. It is a game day for Tennessee basketball tonight. It's Tennessee against George Mason. 6.30 is the tip time. Coverage starts at 6 with the Tennessee tip-off show. But wanted to uh, shine the spotlight on Tennessee football. Uh, James Pierce. First team, all SEC when it comes to the Associated Press, but second team honors for Cooper Mays as well as Jalen Wright. Your thoughts on those three balls finding the spotlight courtesy of the AP? I really felt like Jalen Wright could have a, a bigger season than what we saw a year ago where he could take more of a role in the backfield. And I think it's really impressive that he was able to do that considering the emergence of Dylan Sampson in addition to still having Jabari Small return. And then Cooper Mays not having him at the beginning of the season, seeing the year that he put on to still be an all-SEC selection. I think it really goes to show how valuable 
he was throughout the course of the year and how much Tennessee missed him in the early goings of the season when he wasn't available. It was Grant, Grant Ramey who I saw bring this to uh, to the surface, but with Jalen Hurd, uh, excuse me, with uh, Jalen Wright, he was the first thousand yard rusher for Tennessee since Jalen Hurd did it in 2015. Jalen Hurd did it with 277 carries. Jalen Wright did it with 137 carries. So 140 fewer carries to uh, to break the thousand yard mark. That's some pretty dynamic running. And I remember looking at the box score last year with Small and Wright, and then obviously there had been a, a ton of discussion about Dylan Sampson and just thinking. Uh, really feel like Wright could be the big home run hitter. And I think you saw more of that this year. Really explosive, good ball carrier vision, sees the holes well, but can also get to the edge. Just a lot of things you'd love to see in really in any college running back, but it's something that you really need in today's SEC and the type of offense that Hypo likes to run. I thought Jalen Wright was fantastic and really impressed considering how loaded that backfield is, the type of offense that Tennessee runs where they really spread the ball around. There's a ton of wealth for everybody, but to see somebody stand out from a number standpoint, second year in a row that Tennessee's had somebody do that, especially with what Jalen Hyatt was able to do last year from a pass catching standpoint. But I thought Wright was excellent this year. That's Joel Silverberg. I'm John Wilkerson. 7.56. It's four in front of eight o'clock. Hope your Tuesday's off to a good start. We've got another hour of sports talk that starts with your chance to win. That's next when we step to the plate at eight on 99.1, the sports animal. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kamal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.